two words, two words that in my limited vocabulary stay with me in my thinking. I'm a thinker. I process, I review in my head. I try to learn from each day. Two words, expectations and perceptions. Perceptions lead to our expectations, and expectations lead to our perceptions, don't they? They're very important to us. If we have healthy perceptions, correct perceptions, it will help us to have healthy expectations. If our perception is skewed, we will have skewed expectations. I'm not going to have you stay there very long, but I want you just to let that soak in for a moment. I study people all the time. I study myself. And I, sometimes I, I'm confused about myself. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Why do I do what I do? As I've learned even with church, church people, we have expectations. Sometimes it's totally unrealistic, and we find ourselves frustrated. And then there's those wonderful stories where somebody, either the Holy Spirit or an individual, is used by God to speak into our life, and we get things in alignment again. So we've got to ask ourselves what am I depending on to get the proper perspective? And are my expectations based upon the truth of God's Word? Pretty good stuff. I keep saying, well, write books. This would be one of those books. It'd be a top seller, I'm sure. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. As we stand and read God's Word together, I'll read from another passage, another gospel in just a moment. But Matthew chapter 10 beginning at verse 34. These are words written in red, so we know who spoke them. Have you read this? Have you thought about it? Or is it brand new knowledge? Have your perception of who Jesus is and what he came to do? Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. What? A daughter against her mother. Really? A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. <laughs> That's not a stretch. <laughs> and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves <clears throat> son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, let us get this thing right. God, let us get this thing right. Let us get our perception of you correct and our expectations set solely in you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. God bless you. As you're being seated, turn to at least one and say, oh, this is going to be good. We see that this is the words of our Lord, and I'm sure for some, whether streaming or here in person, that you really never studied that, never maybe even heard it. Maybe your perception of Jesus was, well, he just came with flowers in his hand and just came around with candies in the other hand and was just loving on people and hugging them and, and uh, just wanting everybody to get together and sing Kumbaya. Because that's really what we would like. And for him to come and, and say, listen, get it right. I didn't come to bring peace. Well, wait a minute. Uh, we remember the angels declaring on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, but when you read it closer, you realize that that peace was only for a select few. It's back to the truth that he's bringing out here initially. I've come to bring a sword. This is tough for us to swallow. We don't really like this, if we're going to be honest about it. We don't like it that he was so in our face to say, hey, when it comes between me and anybody else in your family, I come first. Yeah, but my dad's a good man. Yeah, I've come to separate you from him. If your devotion is only in him, I've come to separate you. Really? My mother? Now, you really, you're not going to throw her under the bus, are you? Yeah. If she's in your heart before me, absolutely. You see, it's tough for us. Those of you that are parents, especially mothers, thinking that he really wants me to put him before my own children, and you've put this maternal thing in me that I'll claw somebody's eyes out over my kid. Now, I may know they're, they're not perfect, but don't you ever say they're not perfect. And I may go home and, and, and discipline them, but don't you do it. And yet he's coming in and he's, he's not mixing his words at all. And what does he tell us? I've come not with peace, but a sword. So there is an association uniting a sword with a cross. That they're in the same conversation. This sword just doesn't really work for me. And yet, this is his first arrival on the earth, and he's telling us, I've come with the intention to bring a sword. And it's going to begin this way. It's going to come to your relationships. You have to understand that I'm first. That there has to be a total devotion. A total surrender to me so that it will color the rest of your relationships. But you see, when he returns again, how many believes he's coming again? He's coming with a sword again. And this time, the sword will come from his very mouth. He isn't mixing up his conversation. He hasn't changed his plan. Revelation 19 
simply says, as he's returning and heaven's opened up and we see his vesture, we see him clothed. Verse 15, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to, what? Strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of his fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Wow. He's consistent in this message, this sword that he's talking about. And then he, when he returns, he's literally striking down nations. Why? Because it's actually the picture of him, the great shepherd, returning. And we miss it a little bit because it speaks of a rod of iron. But it is still the rod, the one that the psalmist referred to. That his rod and his staff, they comfort me. You see, he's consistent in who he is. And he's coming the second time, crushing the enemies who would come against his sheep. Wow. Because the sword has divided the sheep from the goats. From the enemies of the sheep, those wolves who would want to devour. You see, he understood that there will not be a lasting peace until he comes. And so this first time he's coming and he's setting the stage. The Bonhoeffer, many of you know his story, assassinated at the close of World War II. He simply said, as he grew in his faith and his responsibility of preaching the word, he said, do you know what he's really offering us? He didn't offer us as much to come and dine. That will come in time. He said, come and die. Well, I don't think I want to sign up for that group. If you're getting a tour bus together, I think I'll just pass on that trip. Come and die, because this is exactly what he's saying here. Die. If you come to me, you're going to die to your life. You're going to die to your family. You're going to die to your friends. You're going to die to your, your future. Again, this sword that he brings, he says that we are to come along with our cross to join with him. The preaching of the cross can never be lost to the house of God. It's one of those messages that we have to frequent. It's one of those messages that we have to get right. Because it uniquely marks us. It's who we are. We're people of the cross. I would like a different symbol. Other world religions, they've got symbols I could embrace a lot easier Nice symmetrical stars or lotus flowers, maybe. Half moons, at least. But a cross? A cross, really? A cross. So yes, he is calling for total devotion. We've got to embrace this. Every generation has to embrace what he's really saying. 
I don't have part-time agents. I don't have part-time employees. I'm coming for those. I'm looking for those who have surrendered their life. You know, we're just natured in, in Maslow's study of the basic needs of man. What is the most basic need of all? It is to survive. The stories we hear of someone lost in a canyon for two weeks, you think they could have survived, and we find out they do because there is something in us. Then we lose everything else we didn't think we want to lose or could lose, but at the end of the day, I want to survive, right? And yet, you're offering me to die to follow you. This is what makes us unique, what makes us distinct. That we realize the kingdom absolutely doesn't make sense to this world. In other words, if I do things to save my skin, let's word it that way. Well, that's proper, obviously, in some things. But when it comes to our faith, those that will save their life, you know what's going to happen to you. You're going to lose it. If you want life that's everlasting, there's only one way. Do we believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus is the way and there's no other way? Do we believe this? We're now living in times again where there's many voices clamoring. Do we, do we hold on to that position? Are we going to be haters? Well, you'll be labeled that. Well, you're not being politically correct. You see, the pressure cooker is turning up. For those of you that are too young to know what a pressure cooker is, you put the heat under that pot that is sealed, and it would have a little fixture on top of it. That just looks like a round coin, something just round. But he didn't know its function until that heat had built up enough and generated pressure in that pot, and it just starts rattling. You know it's time to get it off the heat source and wait till you can open up the lid to get the contents. I don't know about you, but I can hear that rattler going right now. The pressure's building, and we know it. Will we be people who have allowed him to bring his sword and divide us to prove total devotion? I don't know if that's really Christianity. I mean, Christianity is we're supposed to hold hands and hug on each other, put on our perfume and our cologne, put our best clothes on, hug each other. Yeah, we do that too. But this devotion, this unsaleable devotion, God, you're first. God, I hear your words. Have no other gods before me. That not only means that they can be in your life in line. No, no, no. Second, third, fourth place. It's actually saying have no other gods in my presence. Don't have them before me. I am God. You see, this is the meat of his word. 
It has to be preached. It has to get in our fabric of our spirit. It has to set our mind right, to get our perceptions right, our expectations right. Do we believe that there is life after we leave this planet? Do we believe that there is a heaven? And do we believe there is a hell? Do we believe these are eternal places? Do we believe that hell will one day be cast into a lake of fire, nothing but torment forever and ever and ever and ever? You see, if we believe that, then it gets us back with the right perception. I may not always be embraced as much as I'd like to. I would like everybody to be my friend, but I must stand for the truth. I must share truth with my children, my grandchildren. Instead of just going along with the flow, I know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That he died on a cross and shed his blood for me and for all those who would surrender to him. Yes. Well, in my family, my dad doesn't believe, my mother, then your devotion of your heart doesn't mean you abuse those. But Jesus' words have to be paramount. Oh, can't we just kind of tone it down? Can't we just back off a little bit? <laughs> you see, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. You'll find verse 27, Peter makes that great confession as, as Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the one. You're it. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And so then Jesus begins immediately after that telling him the suffering he's going to go through. And, and Peter says, uh-uh, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want that. I don't want that. He's, rebuke, he's prepared to rebuke Jesus, but before he gets the total rebuke out, Jesus is rebuking him. Get behind me, Satan. And then the strong wording here. When he says, you've set your mind, your perception." On the things of, not of God, but the things of man. Verse 34, read with me. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Oh, there it is again. And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? And forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Wow, talking to us, isn't he? Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father and of his holy angels. The mind, John R.W. Stott, an incredible theologian, made the statement, the danger of being controlled by our emotions. How many has watched our culture lately? Feelings. He said the mind should be the thermostat for the setting of the emotions. Those of us that have a little age on us can remember, we might have been young, the 1960s, 
when things started shifting. It was the summer of love, 1967. Oh, that's a flashback, wasn't it? There's been a shift, a paradigm shift, because since the 17th century, we had moved into an age of reason, where the mind had the ability to reason, a word that's ugly today, to find, and the next ugly statement, absolute truth. But the age of, of reason began to shift in the summer of love. And the statement was made, trust your feelings. I'm going to hurt some feelings again like I normally do. For all of the Star Wars fans, brace yourself. 1977, Luke Skywalker, trust your feelings. We've been immersed now, and we now have a harvest of feeling seekers. I identify with this today because I feel this way. Oh, pastor, are you going there? No, we're here. Feelings. Again, if the mind can't be the thermostat to control the, the emotions, we're in trouble. Let me give you a prophetic word that was never intended to be prophetic. It was just a historian giving a report on the fall of Rome. Historian Will Durant listened to his study of what made Rome fall. He said, a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. It is the essential cause of Rome's decline was it laid in her people, her loss of morals, her class Struggles, wow. Her failing trade, wow. Her bureaucratic despotism, wow. Her stifling taxes, wow. And her consuming wars, wow. How many know history is repeating itself? Feelings. What is our perception? Today we boast and we please God in our faith, hearing testimony of someone having a prompting of the Holy Spirit and stepping out on it, not even knowing what would happen, but being obedient to that and the response of a recipient to step forward here publicly to lay hands on somebody and pray for them and believe that God would heal the only way you can do that authentically is to have a perception that God is the healer and be convinced and persuaded that it is his will to do so. 
that he actually took stripes on his back so long ago that those in the generations to come that heard his word and heard the report says, if he did it then, he'll do it now, and I'm going to trust my God. My perception is my God can do anything, anything, anything. He is still able. He's exceedingly able. He's abundantly able. He's not grown old. He's not grown antiquated. He's not gone into dementia or Alzheimer's. He's the same God on the same throne with the same power, with the same ability, who is moved by the faith of his people that trust in him because their perception says, my God is able, therefore I expect him to move upon his word and my faith connecting to him. It helps me get past my feelings. Tammy was singing prior to that. And if you heard her own declaration, he hasn't healed me yet, but I'm going to keep singing about the healer because I've witnessed it in the past and I know he'll do it again. I don't know when he's going to do it again, but I know that he's able and I know that he wants to. But he still has his sword. And he's seeking those who are looking and longing for him. Whose devotion is in him. Lord, I don't know how long the night is, but I know there's going to come a morning. Sorrow may last the whole night long, and it may be a long, long, long night with thunderstorms rumbling all night long, but there's going to come another morning, and on that glorious morning, I'm going to wake up and see your glory. I'm going to receive your mercy. I'm going to receive your answer. So, Lord, I don't know how long this night will be. It may last for a year, but there's going to be a morning. Because your word declares there always will be seed time and harvest. You've put things in motion because you're sovereign. So we come back to the cross. The association of the sword and the cross. I had no idea that they were related. But now I understand a little bit more about that cross. What really spoke to me this week, and I've really never heard anybody else bring it out, but I'm sure they have, is when Jesus makes this statement, he hasn't walked the Via Dolorosa yet. You see, most of the time we're preaching about the cross, we're like Paul, we're referring what he did on that cross. But when he's speaking about it, take up your cross and follow me, he hadn't modeled it yet. Wow, that's a thought. Can you imagine what those first listeners' perception was? <laughs> Dude, are you crazy? Because all I know about crosses is they kill people. And all I know about crosses is the people that get killed on those things. Get shish kebobbed on those stakes. Are bad people. Thieves. Thugs. Murderers. And you're telling me that that will be my identity? To follow you? Wow. 
It got quiet in here. See, we're used to all these real nice little crosses that go around right here. Kind of shiny, pretty, worth some money. But the cross he referred to wasn't that at all. And yet he said, I've come to bring this sword, not peace, because you've got to get it. Total devotion, total surrender. And in order to do that, you'll have to take a cross if you're going to follow me. And the only way you can take that cross is to deny yourself. How many knows that's true? Ain't no fun carrying that cross around. You see, the cross that he really carried down at Via Dolorosa wasn't this, this whole fixed cross. It was, it was the horizontal beam, not the vertical. He's walking with this. Now, at that time, he may have been dragging it somewhat, but the, the imagery is here. You see, if, if you're walking around today like this, you, you look a little strange. You don't look very welcoming. You, you going to invite me to your party? What's wrong with that guy? Take up your cross and follow me. Well, you look different. It kind of limits you to what you can do. I want to reach, grab that right there. But the cross reminds us of who we're actually following. Stand with me.